0: Welcome back to Operator Syndrome. I'm Patrick here with Steve, as always. And last time we were talking about some combat diver, combat swimmer action, Um, and we're doing it. We're finally here. We're talking about Desert Shield and Desert Storm, um, an operation in which Steve participated as a U.S. Navy SEAL. So uh, let's get into it. And you've done, you've talked about it sort of tendentially, done a lead up some lead ups here and there and some other episodes, because this was a seminal event in, in yeah. your career and for the seals at that time as well. Um, and some interesting things happened. So, um, you know, pick up where, where you'd like to, let's talk about desert that, that first piece desert shield. Yeah. Um, I had mentioned in
1: a previous episode when I was at sniper school, I was actually at sniper school. I was just graduating from sniper school and that was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, um, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, the the night that it happened, and we we had seen it on a big screen, CNN, early days of CNN. You know, it's funny. Just to, just to preface this all by saying, it's amazing how long ago that was. Now, like when I was in, you know, we looked at the Vietnam guys and we thought, man, those guys are ancient. Man, they that was twenty years ago. Well, now. If you look back that it was 90, 90 and 91 when desert storm was. So that's like 30, over 30 years ago. So now I feel like a dinosaur and it was brought painfully to my attention recently when I had a young uh, friend of mine from church, who's getting ready. He's in the army national guard, but he's really into guns, of course, and likes to shoot and has all, he has way more cool guy gear than I ever would have or will have have in my life. And he's, I mean, he's got all kinds of gear. And he's asking me, what about these sites? Did you guys use these sites? I was like, time out. We had iron sites in the Gulf War. We were using iron sites except for the snipers. And uh, we, had, we were starting to get some cool scopes and fast acquisitions. But it just the, another, another point to remember is the GPS, the, we got the first unit of GPS, first generation GPS in the Gulf War. And that thing was like two feet wide by like a foot tall. And we, we mounted them on the, the dashboard of our Humvees. I mean, they were huge. You wouldn't not, you couldn't carry one of those. I mean, they were so big and they were not that accurate.
0: Computers that take up an entire room,
1: entire room. But, and you know, they, they were not that accurate. They could get you within a couple hundred yards, square yards of something maybe if if there were enough satellites up but let me so it's
0: just yeah let me say one thing about the gear is and just to say that even in my time um the difference between the beginning of iraq and afghanistan versus the end is like light years yeah. so you know towards the beginning and you know i i first went overseas in 2006 um by then there was some cool stuff around but but what's available today and what was available towards the end of those conflicts, I mean, even at the beginning, people, people were going into combat with iron sights mm. in the beginning. You know, maybe not SEALs and Rangers and Green Berets, right. but there, there were folks at the beginning of, of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars who were going on. So, so don't feel too bad. I think, I think yeah, those wars specifically helped accelerate some of the cool guy gear that's, that's proliferated. Yeah, cool.
1: So it was a different time. Uh, It was uh, 1990, August of 1990, and Hussein rolled in there to Kuwait. Uh, I think it was an economic thing. He had exhausted a lot of money in the Iran-Iraq war, which is eight years and a draw, and um, he just wanted oil. And so he did it. I think, you know, who knows, but uh, President then, President George W, George Herbert Walker, george hw bush bush 41 uh, george w bush's father uh was the president and um i think he did a stellar job i i've always told people he was he was my favorite president in my lifetime so far because i think he was really qualified he was a navy he shot down in world war ii he's head of i think the cia or the fbi one of those i mean you really qualified guy but anyway um he responded with uh with us. And, um, so I'd just gotten back from sniper school and was told that we were leaving in two, three, four days. Uh, we, we didn't have hundred percent knowledge of when we were leaving, but it was going to be soon. And, um, our, our gear was already packed up. And, um, so sure enough, we, we boarded a C-5 galaxy flew out of North Island Naval air station in Coronado and, uh, long, long trip. I remember we flew we refueled in Labrador, Canada, and then we flew to rhein base in Germany, and refueled, and then we headed from there. The last leg was to Saudi and we picked up fighter support. It, that was kind of cool because there were some windows we could look out. In part of the C5, there was one area where you could kind of see out. We got up to where we could look out and we could see these things off our wings. I was like, well, that makes me feel a little bit better um they escorted us in and we did we had no idea what was happening nobody seemed to have any idea we we were told as i mentioned in a previous episode to be ready to fight if we had to off the aircraft fight our way off the aircraft and form a perimeter and if if in fact the iraqis had chosen to push down now they did not thankfully for a lot of reasons but it was so blisteringly hot by then in in saudi arabia that i don't you know, it's, it's one thing like, yeah, it would, it would suck to have to fight in that heat, but they have to fight in it too, and they're humans, so it's like nobody wants nobody wants to fight in that kind of heat. I think that might have been, I, I just looking back, you know, hindsight's 20, I just think that the heat might have been the one thing that, that bit Hussein in the ass because he knew he was going to have more heat casualties, tanks breaking down, they didn't have that really that good of gear. Um, if he'd have chosen to go on in. And that gave us the time to build up. Uh, and so there were really two parts to, to what's called the, the first Gulf War or, or Desert Storm. And it was Desert Shield, Operation Desert Shield, and then Operation Desert Storm. And uh, they were two different campaigns. In fact, on my Southwest Asia service, I, got, I get two stars because I was there for both of them. So you, you would get, you get a, uh, a ribbon if you were there for Desert Shield and or desert storm or both so uh we were the first combat units to hit the ground we were told there were some special forces coming in there um army green berets and i, I think right after we hit the ground and and we just landed at daharan air uh, airport it, it just in in daharan saudi arabia um kind of central saudi arabia and um there were no other, they were bringing some Air Force controllers in to start setting up the airfield to bring what would become a massive, massive buildup, but we, it was, it was just us and there were some Green Berets and then there were some Air Force controllers and I think not long after we landed, I think some 82nd Airborne troops came in there uh, to Daharan as well, but it was like st- first strike kind of guys um, and we didn't have a clue. We were so hot. It was so hot. And it was just like kind of bizarre because you're you're just in this new place that's just weird and exotic and hot. And, and, you know, it's like, man, where are we? What universe are we on? So they sent us down to a little base called Half Moon Bay, which was really it wasn't a base. What what am I saying? It was it was an area along a beach where, where there was barbed wire fence that was about 10 foot tall with some barbed wire at the top. And the whole area was, I think they were just looking for a place where there was some sort of perimeter that we could, and then we we got there. I remember in the middle of the night, literally, with we didn't even have Humvees yet. We had we had Toyota land cruisers or Toyota, yeah, land cruisers, the the big nice Toyotas that the Saudis just gave us. They just said, here, take eight, ten of these. And the thing is, they were plush, man. They were like leather, air conditioning, brand new. And we were like, never been in anything this nice before. But it was something and it was four wheel drive. So we could kind of get our gear loaded up. We had a couple of lorries, those Mercedes lorries that they have in Europe a lot, mm-hmm. uh, loaded those with our gear. And I mean, we were just taking weapons, explosives, eighty four rockets, everything you could think of and just heading out into the wild
0: blue yonder in the desert. And at, at that point yeah. and at that, that point that's the only guidance you all had been given was just go to this place and get yeah. ready for something get ready for something and 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 secure the perimeter and we were
1: we were standing watch uh, we were having to stand our own watches up because there was nobody else there and and you know we, we didn't have any Intel that there was anybody in the area from 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 Iraq, from Iraq but it was this weird feeling of like we didn't trust anybody. It's like we see guys slow down in a car with like, you know, the Saudi headdress Mm -hmm. and kind of gawk at us. And we're like, the hell are you looking at, man? Just keep moving. And we're a little nervous. We're like, what are these guys? You know, because in your mind, you're thinking, are they going to blow us up with a car bomb? Or, you know, what? They're so different, you know, so different from us that we're just like, it it was weird. And we were all on edge because we really didn't have enough. Now, within about I guess two or three weeks they brought some Marines in to help us secure the our base, so we could do what we needed to do. And um, I just remember, man, <laughs> those first few days, all we had was MRE. We ate MREs now, everybody, for about seven, eight months straight—breakfast, lunch, and dinner, except for the occasional. If you could break away and go to an Air Force outpost and get an AFI's burger, we would call it an AFI's burger. It's just, uh, they would have these little trucks and you could get a hamburger. And I mean, it was like, it's the little things in life, everybody.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, no doubt. So, yeah. So anyway, at night we slept, we slept in our UDT shorts and our t-shirts with a weapon next to us and a bottle of water. It, it got down to 95 at night in pitch black at night. And we were just sitting on cots, like no covers, just under the stars sweating at night and um then it would heat up to about 125 126 in the daytime the next day ridiculous so were you sleeping at all were you getting any sleep not much you were tossing and turning i mean you can't sleep in that kind of heat it's just so hot it we did a little bit but it was catnapping all night basically um now to be fair it, it did like when we got into like late october November December it did start to cool down and it got bearable but but in August it it was not bearable Uh, we did some drills with our mop gear because the big fear was that Hussein was going to send like a scud with chemical weapons our way so we would have to we had this in an old generation mop gear stuff like full chemical suit with a respirator you know we tried to do fire and movement in those damn chemical suits. And we were so hot. We were, we figured we could fight about 10 or 15 minutes in that thing. And then we'd all be heat casualties. It was just baking hot. And we, we just said, I'd rather die. I just rather die than try to fight <laughs> in this stuff and die. Take my chance with the mustard gas. <laughs> exactly. But really strange times. And just, I guess what, what made it so stressful is there's so many unknowns Mm-hmm. So once we we did one of the first operations, it was a recon, and um, our platoon was told, "Okay, we want to get eyes on the Iraqis. We, we want to. I mean, we, I mean, they didn't have all the fancy predators. They had some early generation drones that were like prop drones, but but nothing like we have now. Satellite wasn't near as as accurate as it is now. So it was back to the old, you know, human." uh you know eyes on and and so we were told our platoon commander told us we were tasked to go up to um the border the uh saudi kuwaiti border and um they hadn't pushed across as far as we knew but that's kind of why they wanted us up there so we piled in a lorry we didn't even have any hummers yet um big mercedes truck you know you see them in documentaries and stuff um loaded them up we we took at4 rockets we took a couple rubber boats some outboard motors we took anything we could think anything we could think to take because our first question was okay what if they roll across with like huge numbers of tanks now what are we supposed to do for you know 16 guys sitting there with squad weapons we had some at4 rockets but we're gonna run out of those pretty quick um you know, it kind of creepy to, to go up against big armor like that. And they said, well, uh, we'll try to get a helo up there and get you guys out. If you get in a jam, we'll try, you know, because we, we, we we're still building us. So we didn't have like a lot of assets at the time. Mm-hmm. And they said, the other thing is, well, E and E try to get. We were we were on the coastline. We were right on the Gulf, the Persian Gulf, Gulf Coast in this little bitty border town uh called um uh oh oh, i'm blanking out i'll come up with it later it's right on the it's right on the border uh between saudi and kuwait um nah i'm blanking out anyway little border town and we it was all deserted all the all the uh, saudis had fled out of there to go south because they were they figured they're next so it was kind of like this weird ghost town And we uh, we checked out a few sites and we found this one building. It was like a stone building, pretty built pretty well. And we had an upper deck where we had a wall. So we had cover and we figured this would be a good place to set up. And um, it it just just to go out on some recons to get some eyes on and then also have kind of a base of operation where we could we 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 had cover where they they couldn't see what we were doing. We made sure that we weren't exposing
0: ourselves northward where where they were. Let me, so, ask the, let me ask the real mm-hmm. questions here. Was that building air conditioned? <laughs> no. No? No. So you stopper. have a whole town and you guys chose the one building that's not not air conditioned?
1: I think a lot of those buildings were not
0: air conditioned. Oh, I think they it. just
1: dealt with it. Um, this was not like a ritzy town. This was like a kind of ramshackle town. So I don't even think they had the power or the money. They might have had the money, but... For whatever reason, I think they're just used to it there. Mm-hmm. I mean, in and the big stone buildings were pretty cool on the inside if you could keep them shady. You know, it didn't seem to be that bad, but uh, it was it was still hot. Um, so yeah, we a lot of times Bruce and I would go out. Um, he was in another platoon, but uh, myself and and another my spotter Brad and I would go out and do a lot of looking like getting eyes on we saw we we could see some enemy positions and we just try to document it and radio back to headquarters and tell them what we were seeing and which was not much they were just sitting there they're they might have been looking at us i don't know we were looking at them were they dug in or
0: was it just like hasty hasty positions
1: hasty mostly yeah from what we could tell it was hasty um there there were some dug in um but but mostly it was just hasty campsite kind of things um Mm -hmm. yeah i know we didn't they didn't want us to go. okay another another dramatic part of this was that the CENTCOM commander at the time was general Schwarzkopf he was an army four-star and he was he was a he was an infantryman's conventional dude he did not like special forces he did not like seals he did not like rangers he said, he thought we were a bunch of snake eaters. We were a bunch of crazy guys that were going to kick the war off. And so he really limited what we could do. I mean, he was, if you can. there's a lot of books that have been written on this and Hey, I'm not faulting the guy. He was, he was, a, he was a great commander over there. And he, boy, he, he executed one of the most successful campaigns in our history, but he did, he was super nervous about us and we could have done a lot more if, if he hadn't been so, uh, so kind of cautious toward special operations
0: let's put it that way Mm -hmm. so so we did sorry the unit you were observing was that an armored unit or or what kind of unit was it
1: it was mostly infantry there there were some armored personnel carriers in a separate location not far from the main the the main ground infantry that we were watching we were watching the infantry mostly but we didn't see any tanks. There weren't any tanks that we could see. I think they were over the horizon, but
0: these were like forward troops. I'm I'm nerding out a little bit because I, I, I didn't get the experience of, you know, looking across and seeing someone in a uniform and, and, yeah. and, you know, actual professional military folks on the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it I, again, maybe I watched too many movies, but do, was there any way to identify who they were? Just, no. by, just by looking at them no, nothing like
1: that no. all we could tell was that they were military and we just assumed they had to be iraqis because they were in iraq i mean this was across the border <laughs> but they, yeah we couldn't yeah. see we, we weren't close enough to see any kind of identifying you know right
0: uh yeah unit, unit. Nor, nor would you because you that your purpose is for those who don't know their the, their purpose was not to be seen not to engage right yeah um, exactly and and you don't it's it's not a game it's not a game you want to play around with if you're not ready yeah. to have a tank roll roll up on you i can't imagine precisely i, I can't even imagine wh- what that would what that would feel like to be like yeah. okay these guys find us they're going to call their friends yeah. in that other camp and like a T72 or whatever is going to roll up on us and yeah and, and we've got AP4 rockets yeah,
1: exactly. Shooting sure. from ditches. Like, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not our way of operating. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. we, we were told if, if we did get contacted and they couldn't get a helo in or gunships in to get us out, uh, we were to get to the coastline, inflate, or if we had time to inflate the boats and get to, but we wouldn't, we, we all knew we were not going to have that much time if, if something like that was going down. Uh, we were just going to swim. We, we were going to swim inflate our life jackets, take our weapon with us and just kick, stroke and glide, we called it for as far as we could and radio a Navy warship to come scoop us out. Um, but that's, I mean, these are pretty, pretty crazy when those are the plans you're coming up with to E&E. You know, I mean, it, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's what we, that's what we had to deal with. It, it
0: almost sounds like a sarcastic answer. Like, I know. You're SEALs, just find yeah. a coast and swim. Swim, find a boat. yeah. It's like man, that's easy. Kind of rolls off the
1: tongue when you're telling us to do that, but whoa! And we had, we had, yeah, we had AT4 rockets for those listeners who might not know. It's, it's an anti-tank. AT is anti-tank. It's a shoulder-fired recoilless rocket that um, has a shaped charge that can penetrate uh, armor. And um, and we did actually. There was a tank that was. We did. We did some experimenting at one point where this this town um well our air uh our air assault came in and and shredded up a bunch of their tanks at one point this is before this is actually this was during desert storm when we were in some engagements and so we had some days where we were just like let's go see what these will really do to tanks and we we shot a bunch of um, armor-piercing sniper ammunition and we shot, shot some rockets at them just there weren't there weren't anybody in them they were already dead or um, deserted um, but we, we had it was like a playground where we could actually see what they would do and we actually I actually got a letter from an admiral commendation for for documenting man I wrote a lot of reports on what it could and couldn't do but I, mean, I did everything from shoot bolts in the in the tracks of these things to see if I could shatter one Um, anything I could at all to see what we could really do with uh, armor piercing and and AT4 rockets. And then we had some stingers. We had about four or five stinger missiles uh, that we were going to take in our boat and and or in the Hummers or the lorries. We eventually got Hummers up there um, Mm -hmm. because if if we had a helicopter on our butts, that's a problem if it's an attack helicopter. And so we were going to take care of those with stingers, which were which are pretty awesome. would <laughs> you learn how to use them? Do you ever shoot stingers in the, in the Rangers? Yeah,
0: never did. Never did. They used to have, in my time, we didn't even have um, anti-air teams, but I feel like we did have anti-tank teams still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'd go out on missions and we'd have someone who'd have a recoilless yeah. rifle uh, even when I was there. And, but I feel like I, I remember seeing like, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the table organization, like a spot for like, a two-man st- stinger team but no not my time
1: yeah yeah that they're they're impressive and and they're they're really i mean that's how i mean it's a tangent that's how we we I say we the Afghanistan the, the afghans the mujahideen ran the soviets out of if, if you ever want to see it, a movie that actually is pretty kind of cool is charlie wilson's war um we we sent special forces in there to train the the Afghans to shoot Stingers, and they they shot down every aircraft in the Soviet inventory, from what I've been told uh, by a guy that was there. Um, so yeah, they're 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 awesome. I <laughs> mean, they're really. Uh, it's always been a thing that I've. They they're heat seeking, so you uncage and uncaging means you lock on you lock on to a, a flying aircraft, and and the Stinger locks onto the heat and it just tracks supersonic i mean it's you're in big trouble if one of those things is coming in
0: but uh yeah that's what that's all we had and um we never had to use one thankfully again something i I never even thought about and never had to worry about enemy air yeah enemy enemy attack helicopters never never a problem never something i had to think about or deal with
1: right and after we started shooting everything down it wasn't a problem either for us, but, uh, it, you know, early on, it was a concern for sure. And, uh, and they still had gunboats out there. Um, so it was, it was just a weird time because it was just like nobody knew what was going on. There wasn't much guidance. We were just out there. F- talked about feeling like you're out on a limb. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, just crazy. We rotated back and, uh, <laughs> uh, our sister platoon relieved us and we kind of went back and forth like that and then we moved up to a base called ross um which is on the coast it was farther north than half moon bay and uh, patrick and i were just talking to a, a friend of a friend of ours this uh this past week who kevin who he he came in after us about a month after us and he got lost in, in a in a lorry or, or some sort of vehicle. And he ended up at Russell Gar where I was and he was supposed to be at Half Moon Bay. Cause we had like three stages of places where there were seals. And I remember seeing him like, Hey Kev, what? ah, so glad. You, I'm so glad you're here. And he, he was like, well, I'm supposed to be at Half Moon Bay. <laughs> we're like, Oh, that's down South. And you know, he got read, he got, he got like oriented and, uh, but he was all this crazy stuff going on. It, ah, uh, I, it's hard to wrap my head around because it seems like a dream in some ways because it's been a while right and you know being there it it certainly seemed like some sort of surreal dream Um, but we were at rossel gar for a while doing a lot of training and that's uh, that's where we met up with dev group brought in uh, their boats their fast boats so there's a unit at dev group that that do nothing but drive these fast boats. Um, we call them fast boats. They're basically modified uh, open ocean racing boats um, that have enormous engines. And they, those things, if the water's calm, they can go up to 80 knots on the open ocean, which is smoke. I mean, they can outrun anything in the water um, if, if the seas are uh, cooperative. Uh, but so we actually got tier one assets to drive us around and do some ops. And so we started training with those guys at Gar, and uh, which was on the coast. Now that was a Saudi base. And then we moved north up to Rosal Mishab, which was the four, the northernmost base on the coast. And we did our missions and everything else and our final readiness and everything at Rossal Mishab. And that was only about 18 clicks south of the Kuwaiti border or the Kuwaiti Saudi border. Um, And then that's when things started getting interesting, um, which, um, which we did more training, more training, more recons, we were doing recons the whole time, Mm -hmm. um, even before the air, the air offensive
0: kicked off. So had you uh, had you all in the in those uh, reconnaissance missions, had you all come into contact at all? Maybe not even not even like a firefight, but had you all been ever been compromised or, or anything like that? far as we know
1: we we hadn't been compromised we ran in it was one night we ran into a boat we thought it was a gunboat we're not sure because we saw them before they saw us we were in we were we were in rubber we were in rubber raiding craft and we were cruising along there was two of us and i remember i was i was with the platoon commander It, it was a it was a yeah it was two squads it wasn't the whole platoon that now i think about it so i was in i was first squad in one boat we had second squad in the other boat and i i was a 60 gunner at that time in that in that war i was a 60 gunner and the other two platoons i was a point man but anyhow um yeah so (laughs) the guy driving the boat mike he had really good eyesight like super good eyesight like we we all had pretty good eyesight but his, his was like he had that freakish you know visual purples like you get to see at night mm-hmm. and he's driving the boat he's driving the boat and he and we, we hear it slow down he, he just he throttles back we were going into land to do a recon along a beach and um we just hear the it just idle and he's he's doing this we're like what's up man what's up we were trying to be quiet and he's like i see something and we're like Sigh great you know because i couldn't see anything i was kind of like salt spray you know right. all this. and uh tommy d's our platoon commander gets out a thermal imager a first gener- generation thermal it wasn't even in color it was green screen and he he pulls he pulls it up and i remember i did, all i saw was the glow on his face he was like oh he goes watkins well, get up here with that 60 <laughs> i was like great so i came up and just i got the 60 set up in the bow and he said, "Just get ready. Just, just get ready. To, if we have to turn around, just lay down a bunch of lead, and we're just going to get the hell out of here." Um, and we didn't want to make contact. And I think, I think they were moored and we're all sleeping. Honestly, it was in the middle of the night. And but we we got out of there. Um, as far as we know, I'm sure they didn't see us. Uh, whatever that was. But we turned around and motored out. And um, that was that was the only one that was kind of like a pucker factor. As far as, ooh, because if it was a gunboat, I mean, if, if you don't know the difference, a gunboat has a lot of firepower, like 50 caliber level uh, automatic weapons and, and, and other stuff. And we, are, we just had squad weapons in a rubber
0: boat. Okay, so, you know, you don't want to go there. You don't have to. <laughs> at, at, at this time, you all have moved up pretty close. Had you all received... I mean, uh, over time, I, it sounds like things are maturing. You all are being trusted with more opportunities to go out and recon. Had mm-hmm. you all started to hear about what your part was going to be in, the, in the, bigger, the bigger fight? No, we really hadn't.
1: Um, it turns out in a subsequent episode, I'll get into it, but we, we were chosen for the largest, the largest operation in... in at least among any any special operations troops um a a big one uh and and it was it was it was tasked by Schwarzkopf himself and I'll tell you about that but it it was coordinated with the ground offensive I we didn't know at the time because that was all even classified we we had our compartmented uh briefings but uh but yeah we we didn't know anything really we just knew be ready be ready to fight and uh I guess uh, as a kind of a kind of a teaser to leave off with, we, when we were at Russell Mishab, we, right when the ground offensive started, um, we started bombing them, okay? That's, that was, or not, not ground offensive, uh, air campaign. And it, it was, I think it was in January of, of 91, um, we started bombing the crap out of them. Well, they started shooting at us and they, they, they uh, rocketed our base, I mean, big rockets going off and uh that is a whole nother thing we had to build a bunker like literally in the middle of the night we had to get a backhoe from some CBs and dig a big ass hole and build a bunker i was like well i never had this lesson before but we needed something because i mean they were shelling us or they were sending in rockets and shells thankfully they weren't that good of shots but that'll rattle you you know when windows shatter <laughs> big rocket goes off right um and uh, the the Saudis on that base it was a Saudi reserve base Saudi naval reserve base all the Saudis fled the base they just took off and left their own base and we're like where are you guys going man come on how about some teamsmanship here and they are like Ooh, we're out of here and we so we had to secure the freaking base once again so we're taking up night watches and machine gun positions and Again, they brought more Marines in to supplement us so we could go out and do our stuff. But it was like we had to hold that base for about two days. And it was it was dicey because we were getting rocketed and they were they were sending. I mean, there was talk that they were coming down from the north with armor. Well, Mm -hmm. they did actually try to try to get down to us. But we had a bunch of um, uh, A-10s and um, Apaches just eat them up right on the right on right on the highway i mean and we 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 drove through it not long after and thought holy it was just a graveyard where they just just shot them all up so but that was another time where it was like let us get out there and do the deed and now we're having to stand stand up watches on this on this base perimeter because all the saudis fled including the commanding officer of the base and we're like well you got to lead
0: by example that's yeah yeah yeah. that's rule number one um well Well, you you all would go on to And we'll talk about that in this next episode to do some really interesting missions. Um, So we'll leave it there for now. And uh, we'll pick back up next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.